0: Hello out there, all you opulent octopuses. Welcome to another week of A Little Greener, a podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I am one of your hosts. My name is Sarah. I'm a former conservation educator who just loves to talk about nature so much that I do it even when you don't pay me for it. And I am joined by the most wonderful co-host in the world, Casey.
1: How are you doing, Casey? Casey. Hi, I'm doing okay. As we talked about prior to recording, uh, we live in a COVID world and my fiance Andrew has COVID right now. So he's okay. He's, uh, he's experiencing we're like boosted and all of that. So he's experiencing some cruddy cold symptoms, but you know, I think especially when we haven't really been sick in like three years, because we've been trying to be really careful. It just, is all the worse that he's sick and not used to like congestion and things like that, but he's okay. We're just, uh, isolating. And so he's in our new house, which we were supposed to move in this week, but we've had to push off another week or two because he's in there and I'm at my desk. It's, it's been a whole thing. That's a,
0: such a lousy reason to be leaving it, living in the new house.
1: Blumber. I know. And he doesn't have internet. So he, uh, yeah, he's, uh, basically glamping right now. He's you got it.
0: <laughs> Download some shows or movies or whatever onto the computer yes. that you can bring over.
1: That's him. that's a good point. We're going to bring him some ice cream later. What about you, Sarah? You spent some nature time this week.
0: I did spend some nature time. Lots and lots of nature time. And it was glorious. I went down to Sanibel Island. I've never been there before. Anytime anyone talks about it, they're always like, oh, it's just so beautiful. You have to go. And the Ding Darling National Wildlife Reserve, Refuge, whatever it is. is
1: it's Ding there. Darling? Yeah, That's...
0: that was his nickname.
1: I, uh, I love it. Yeah, it's <laughs> fun to say. wonderful, Ding yeah. Darling.
0: <laughs> it, it was amazing. So I got to hang out. My, my dad was down there and he's also, you know, loves animals, nature. And we've both gotten into trying to do... Not do photography, but to take pictures of birds in particular, but whatever. So he's got a a nice camera that he went out with. I just have like a glorified point and shoot that I try to practice with because I can't do all of the lenses and all of that. So, but it does have some nice zoom. So he was helping me figure out how to use that a little bit better. And we just, we spent hours outside in the nature reserve, walking along the beach, so I, we didn't even see, there weren't any like new mind-blowing species that I saw or anything like that. Most of the birds that we saw were things that I've seen before, but we got to see some really cool things and I did get a lot of practice with the camera and was successful for the, at least successful by my standards for the first time ever of taking photos of birds in flight. And yeah. And it, yeah, it was just it was really cool. It was really fun. I'll have to share. So I posted a bunch of my photos. I'll have yeah. to share them to the pod. So
1: do it's it. Amazing. Did you happen to listen for any frogs while you were there? I
0: did. Yeah. So that was our challenge from last week. And Casey, I know you did yours because you already posted some frog sounds in your backyard. And I did. I was thinking about that when we were out in the evening and I got to hear some pig frog sounds. That was really the only one. Um, at least I'm fairly positive it it was the pig frog and we heard several of them. So I do have a recording, a quick little video that I'll post as well. So I did get to do that. I do still want to do that another night around here and kind of see what I can find closer to home, but it was really fun to
1: hear those.
0: Did you, um, identify any of the frogs that you were hearing around you that you posted in your video? Yes, yes.
1: So uh, that video was from the night we were recorded. I was out um, on my, I was like, Andrew, for my birthday, I just want to sit outside and listen to frogs. (laughs) So my pop-up had built a bunch of like bridges and things around the pond that uh, is in my dad's backyard. And so we went on top of this like arched bridge that he built. And so we're like, can look out over the pond and to our right, there was a big bullfrog going and then green frogs going as well. So you can hear them both, I think in that that video that I played, it was night. So it's just black screen, but you got to sound on for some, uh, great frog calls there. So yeah, that's, I was, I think I was wrong about the leopard frogs being in our backyard, but I have seen a toad around our backyard, which we don't really talk about toads, but like, they also make interesting calls.
0: Yes, I and I kind of lumped them all in together. Yeah, I, we didn't go into that on the episode, but frogs and toads, it's kind of like the turtle tortoise thing that technically you could say all toads are frogs, but not all frogs are toads, depending on how you're wanting to look at it. There are certain characteristics that we, at least in this part of the world, would use to distinguish between frogs and toads, but I don't even think that those are necessarily true around the world. So I didn't feel like it was worth it. Perhaps no. a future episode. <laughs> they're,
1: uh, they're friends and children's books. So that's, they're,
0: that's, that's right. That's,
1: <laughs> they're buddies. It's cool. Um, so yeah, I think that was a really good one. I hope that you guys will listen to some frogs and, uh, and give us a shout if you identify yeah, any in your area,
0: please, or even if you don't, like, even if you just record a video and you're like, are these frogs, <laughs> <laughs> like, if that's, like share that yeah. our, our Facebook page or, or tag us on Instagram, because that's a fun challenge for us too. I mean, we're by no means professional frog call identifiers, but that's, you know, that's the beauty of citizen science is we can all look it up together and see if we can come up with some kind of consensus. It's fun to listen to So I'll make sure to post my video at some point here soon and uh, feel free to share y'all too, if you're listening.
1: Yeah. I'm all about this challenge. I'm glad we both did it. We both took time and did it <laughs> yes. and we got our nature time. Oh, We're actually like, despite all the COVID of it all, we're winning this week, I think. There you go. Um, So, Sarah, I have a question for you, and you may have already sort of answered it by uh, the beginning of this pod. Yes. So, today we're going to talk about the animal, the octopus. And I was wondering how you go about the plural of the word octopus, because people have different opinions about. Which version is right? There is a grammatically correct answer, but I'm just always fascinated by how people choose to say it.
0: Yes, so normally I avoid this word <laughs> at all costs. That's how I go about it because uh, for a long time I, I honestly didn't know, and then people would get very opinionated about it. So I typically just try to avoid saying it whenever possible. The octopus tends to be a solitary animal anyway. It's so true. <laughs> let's just call sometimes I use what I used to do also was just no matter whether I was talking, I, I did like a fish thing. So whether I was okay. talking about singular, that's or how world, I do it. I would say octopus, whether it was one or multiple now. And Casey, look, look what I <gasps> bought. What? I ah! bought this. There's in addition to lovely nature, there's an adorable bookstore on Sanibel Island and I purchased the soul of an octopus. Oh, while we're going to talk I about it on today. Anabel Island. So I have read all of two pages oh, okay. of this book so <laughs> far. I, it was last week that I, no, there, I know I haven't had time. Um, but on the very first page, it talks about the plural <laughs> of octopus and she says octopuses So now that is what I tend to say, as you heard in the beginning, that octopuses is the most correct way to say it in the English language. She talks a little bit more about it, but that's what I've got for you
1: you know what? Good for you. You are, um, for all you grammar nerds out there, Sarah's correct. Actually, there is a right answer to this one, but I also find the like wrong answers very mm-hmm. interesting why they're wrong. I actually am like you, like, I actually didn't see our whole singular plural, just call it fish, call it octopus. Right. <laughs> um, that's what I use. And that's never on the list of the acceptable ways no. to do it, um, and basically what Merriam-Webster chalks it up to is that octopuses sounds gross out of your mouth, and so that's Thank why you. people don't want to say
0: it's it. true. It's one hundred percent true. Octopuses. Does not roll off the tongue. (laughs) No. (laughs)
1: Um, but so first of all, when I was a kid, it was octopi is like, Oh, I know that (laughs) cactuses are actually cacti. So octopuses must (laughs) be octopi. This is incorrect because, uh, that is how you pluralize Latin words Mm -hmm. and octopus is a Greek word. So incorrect. Everyone nice try. Nice try. Incorrect. Here's the thing about the English language. Everyone's gonna know what you're talking about still. So actually you're still kind of correct because people know what it is, and that's how language works. We convey meaning to each other. Yeah. Um the way to pluralize a Greek word, which octopus is like extremely close to the Greek version of the word, is instead of octopus, it would be. Octopodes? octopodes? yeah. Yes. When, when you read it, it looks like octopodes. And so that's how I kept reading it. But yes, apparently you put the emphasis on the second syllable, which is not intuitive. So do. <laughs> octopodes would be the Greek pluralization of that root word. But in English, we just assume that they're all English words that <laughs> yeah, we made it up. So we pluralize it the same way we plural anything else that ends in an S, you add an ES and it is octopuses. Apparently I believe octopi was actually the first like earliest versions they could find in publications in the English language. Yes. Yeah. In like the 1800s when you like saw like, oh, there was a octopus attack or whatever, you know, (laughs) things that aren't real, um, sea monsters, uh, they would say octopi. So it's actually like, yeah. So centuries of old debate. Exactly. Um, If you want to be a smarty pants and say octopodes, I mean you can, but also you're probably not going to be understood by anybody. So you're not doing language its its main purpose. But say what you want. That's my opinion on it. I don't have a strong opinion. (laughs) Do what you want. If someone knows that you're talking about lots of octopus, then it's yeah. Or
0: just avoid it. Or just avoid it. it. Talk around it. I I literally got called out for doing that. I had to. I was doing a, a training for interns in a previous job that i had we were talking about biodiversity and i have this little section that i would lead that covered to the the group that octopus fallen see the octopus fallen um but i like specifically in it was just a little blurb we weren't really you know octopus wasn't the, the main topic, but it was just a little bit about them. And I just talked around it. And then one of the interns raised their hand to ask a question and I called them and they, they were like, so what is the plural?
1: <laughs> you were like, dang it. Foiled. <laughs> uh,
0: yep. No, I, I owned up to it. I was like, yep. I, you, you caught me. I avoided it. I don't know the answer. So I did look it up. That was years ago, but I did read a little bit about it back then. And I brushed up on it for tonight too.
1: All right. Well, we're going to forgive me. I don't think I'm really going to get over my whole like singular plural octopus thing. I'm mm-hmm. probably just going to say that a whole lot. Yep. Um, so know that I know that I'm wrong, um, <laughs> but also know that I don't care. <laughs> So if you want to comment, feel free. We'll take the engagement numbers, but, uh, <laughs> stick around and we're going to talk about these very cool stuff, pods, octopuses. All right, and we're back guys. Uh we're going to talk all about octopus today, but we're not going to talk about everything octopus because genuinely I got lost in this research. There are so many things about octopus. This Could be a book, which it obviously is probably multiple times over. Sarah is holding soul of an octopus. There are plenty of books all about octopus. If some of these things like starts to blow your mind, go find one of those books because you'll learn even more and more that we can't cover today. But I wanted to do a shallow dive on octopodes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to talk a little bit about their family tree, because I think that's really interesting, some of their biology and life history. But then I also want to talk a little bit about uh, how we conceptualize our relationship with octopus because we interact with them when we have for thousands of years, but I think our understanding of them has changed over time. And there's some interesting philosophical concerns when it comes to our evolving relationship with them. So Sarah, let's start out. Let's place the octopus in the tree of life. Who are the closest relatives to the octopus?
0: So when I think of octopus, I think of what you said a moment ago, the cephalopods. Which would include I, squid, obviously, I think would probably pop to most people's minds as being a close relative. The cuttlefish, which we've mentioned on the, the podcast before, would be another one. Um, the nautilus is another mm-hmm. one in that family, which is always hard for me to remember because when I think of nautilus, I just think of a shell. I just think of that spiral shell. But if you've ever seen like their little tentacly things they're not really tentacles i don't think that nautilus have but whatever they are they're kind of their arms out, yeah uh from from that shell it would make a little bit more sense but they are uh, they're mollusks so they're even related to things like clams right sort of further out on on the family tree which doesn't make sense to me <laughs>
1: Okay. I was discussing this with Andrew. It seems wrong. Like I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I think we need to reconsider how we classify life because thinking about a clam being the same sort of idea of a thing as an octopus it's seems crazy. Not even
0: close in my brain. Like
1: Not even close. And honestly, not that close in some yeah. ways. Like biologically time speaking, uh, cephalopods have been around for like Or at least mollusks have been around for like 500 million years. I saw one article that said we are more closely related to dinosaurs than we are to octopus. What? Uh, Yes. Oh, I don't understand, which like, if you think about it makes sense because at least they were vertebrates and well, octopus that's yeah. are not vertebrates. Um, I have been slowly convinced that ba- I was basically like, we've broken science. We need to redo the whole family tree with, a, with octopus because it doesn't make sense. But, um, basically some of the things they have in common is a decentralized nervous system. And if you think about the little foot that the clam puts out, they said basically evolutionarily the arms are like the foot splitting.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: And octopus, okay. so other members of that family you've talked about, like the nautilus, has that shell on the outside still, but octopus and squid have put it on the inside. Yeah. So, and just
0: to clarify here, too, and I'm mostly doing this for my own brain's sake, but just to clarify for everybody listening, too. So, we talk about cephalopods. That's the, if you remember your kingdom phylum class order family genus species, cephalopods are the, the class mollusks are higher up than that. So all cephalopods fall within the mollusk group, but there are other things in the mollusk group that are not cephalopods. That's right. If that makes sense.
1: And then when you go into the cephalopod group, which I'm like using little finger tentacles. (laughs) Yes. Um, When you go inside that group, it does break off into a couple of different branches. Um, One of those is... Ammonites. Sorry, Sarah. It looks like you're about to say something.
0: Oh no. I, this, I just have a random cephalopod thing. Please. Cause I don't think we've said cephalopod means head foot. Yes, it does. Right. So that ties into the anatomy people are going to think that all i do is play video games between donkey kong last week and what i'm about to say but if it helps anyone remember cephalopods what i always think of when i hear the word cephalopod and knowing that it means headfoot is mario brothers do you remember the goombas that would be inside of the sock yes headfoot cephalopods that's what i think about that's all
1: carry on (laughs) Uh, when I think of like a cephalopod, I think of Pachycephalosaurus. So mm. back to dinosaurs again. Yep. Um, dinosaurs are actually like going to come up a couple times in this one. <laughs> so back when the dinosaurs were around, there were, um, a, a group of cephalopods called ammonites. And so that's oftentimes what that little fossil, sh- think of like a sh- spirally shell that has a bunch of little chambers in it almost looks like a ram's horn. Those were, uh, part of the cephalopod family. Um there are like 17,000 extinct species of cephalopods, like documented extinct Goodness. species. Andrew again was like, "Nope, this is made up." <laughs> uh, everybody who finds one is just like found a new one. How <laughs> how are there 17,000 different like <laughs> differences between them? And I'm sure it has to do with like time and space. <laughs> And all the things that influence fossil shapes, things like that. But geez, Louise, Um, (laughs) that's a lot because right now there's uh, far less than that that are alive today. They actually used to rule the ocean. They used to be like ginormous um, before fish became a bigger deal. So they've been around for a super long time. Uh, And if you look in that cephalopod family, we've got the ammonites I just talked about. And then you've got the octopoda forms. Oh boy. Octopoda. I'm going to try and do the Greek thing again. It's not working. Anyway, oct meaning eight, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So these are the eight-legged ones and they are the ones people are most familiar with. Um, They actually have no internal shell, which are, and the ones that, sorry, some of them have no internal shell. And those are the ones that are commonly found in the shallow parts of the ocean. So if you've ever seen those videos of like an octopus, like squeezing through like a wine bottle sort of deal, um, where you're like, well, it's as big as their eye. They'll get through it because they don't, yeah, it's crazy (laughs) Uh, because they don't have anything in the middle. But if, uh, you've go down to the deep sea dwelling octopuses, they have internal cartilage. Um, and they also have fins and things like that. They have different legs. And I assume this has to do with like sea pressure.
0: Yeah, probably. Is that like the, the, the Dumbo octopus? I don't know if yes. that's the actual correct name, but like that's what it's referred to because it has the little. Yes. Flappy things. <laughs> that Casey is and what I it's are called. doing a lot of hand <laughs> movements. I am so sorry that this isn't a video <laughs> podcast.
1: Part right of the audio format. Okay. Also Disney's coming up. So in finding Nemo question, um I knew you would you'd be the right person to ask for this. You know when um Nemo's about to touch the butt? Yeah. And there's the three little ones there's like yeah. Nemo's coming out to see. Is yeah. that little like little gloopy octopus it's looking supposed thing supposed to be a squid? Oh, okay. All right. I well, think- there's like 300 species of octopus and there's like 300 species of squid. So it could be, yeah. But uh they're all cephalopods. They're all related. So that is one branch is the the eight tentacle guys. And that has about 300 species in it. And then there's one on its little own space called the vampire squid. What? Yes. And you need to know that the scientific name translates to vampire squid from hell. <laughs> so scientists are having fun. That's great. Yeah, We have... I- please listeners look this thing up because it has do it, Sarah, Google it. Uh, it has bioluminescent tips of its feet. Uh, it inks bioluminescence to scare <laughs> predators because it's a deep sea dweller and it's like bright red. Oh like my down, right? goodness. Yeah. And it, it's the, it, in your head, you're picturing this bright red octopus with a little two fins. Cause that's what deep sea dwelling guys do. Um, except Also, it can turn itself inside out. Uh, (laughs) I swear, the
0: ocean is another planet.
1: Wild. Yes. And that's the other thing Andrew said. He's coming up a lot because we've been on the phone. Because I was like, hi, I have to entertain you. You want to learn things about octopus? (laughs) Um, And he was like, these things are aliens. So uh, it's got a lot more webbing in between its legs. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that differentiates it from regular things. Um, It has a really scary name when it turns itself inside out it reveals these like spikes that are like coming out of its legs which is something also pretty common for deep sea octopus but this one's especially scary looking um but it mostly feeds on marine snow which is like basically ocean dandruff like it's like all the bits of things that come <laughs> sorry <laughs> that that float down into the ocean and they they sort of just feed off of that and it's also important to say that most of these cephalopods are voracious predators so Oh, they are carnivores. Um, so on the other side of the fa- extant family tree, the guys that are still alive, you have the 10 leggers. Um, and that includes squids and cuttlefish. Um, and squids have over 300 species. They have their head. That's the, called their mantle. And then they have an inter- internal solid piece there that's called a pen. And that's one of the things that makes them different, but that's why they have that kind of like a torpedo-like shape if they've got that oh, yeah. solid bit mm-hmm. inside of them um there is a special squid called a ram's head squid which basically has that ram's horn sort of ammonite shell inside of it um but it's still kind of a squid and then there's the nautilus and like they're like oh there's hundreds of species of those things there are only seven species of nautilus left so i included wow. a picture because yeah i i have trouble conceptualizing it it kind of looks like if a squid took its head and put it like you folded the squid in half and that's basically what it is and it's the color of a shrimp
0: yeah but it's it's uh, also the spirally, also spirally. Yeah. like that's yes. I just I just think of the spiral when I hear nautilus like my brain doesn't even think animal it just yes. thinks of this the spiral
1: yeah I had trouble I mean like because nautical, like I yeah. I I couldn't even wrap my brain exactly around what they were. Um, but if you think about that shell, they're actually born with like four chambers in it. And then as they get bigger, they add more chambers to the mm. shell that keeps spiraling around. So by the time that they're an adult and they maybe are towards end of their life they have about 30 of those chambers and then the actual body of the nautilus is just really living in that last biggest chamber and the rest of it is used as like a ballast system Mm -hmm. for buoyancy so they're super
0: cool again like that's fascinating
1: so interesting um so anyway there used to be a lot more of these cephalopods uh they think actually the meteor that killed off the dinosaur uh, mass extinction of cephalopods as well, because it increased the acidity of the water. And so when baby ammonites were forming their little shells, they dissolved more easily. Um, so that is one of the reasons that we have less cephalopods today. And ocean acidity is still something that you got to think about when it comes to these modern day cephalopods, but let's hone in on the octopus octopuses, because there's so many things you could talk about with cephalopods. And I wanted to focus a little bit on the octopus in particular. So we didn't get too broad. We've um, only
0: got an hour folks. I know. I mean,
1: yes. Oh, eating up time, Sarah. Um, let's talk about some crazy adaptations yeah. of the octopus. Do you have like a favorite one that you can like think of to start with?
0: No, I don't have a favorite one, but I do just have to say that I feel like the octopus is one where you hear all of these things and you're like, that can't really be true. Like, that's just a thing that's been exaggerated by the internet. You know, for example, thinking of something like a shark can detect a drop of blood in the entire ocean or something like that. Sharks are good at detecting blood, but that's a gross exaggeration. But it's all true (laughs) for octopus. They really do just have all of these crazy things. So uh, along that kind of same line three hearts right
1: three hearts which yes uh, i want to say that like i do think that humans lack the language that i think we would use if like we weren't directly comparing their body plan right. to vertebrates yeah so i think that's where a lot of this like brain blast sort of thing comes from is us being like okay this is my body part where right. does it translate Here's on this that animal compar- yeah it doesn't it doesn't translate onto the animal in this like in the the way that would make it easily comprehensible
0: yeah i do think it's interesting like so speaking about the hearts and things that so with a lot of invertebrates they don't even have a circulatory blood. system like yes. we do yeah like they just have an, like an what's called an open circulatory system they don't have blood vessels like we do but active pusses are actually more it's still gross Uh, they're actually more like us in that they do have a circulatory system like they have a closed circulatory system they have vessels which is a little bit crazy in my mind just thinking about them being invertebrates and how flexible they are I don't know it's yeah
1: this does add to Andrew's theory that they are aliens because if you ever watch Doctor Who he has two hearts so this is just one step further Yes. Um, that is part of being a time Lord. Anyway, uh, that nerd part is over. Now we're (laughs) back into animal nerd part. So in addition to them having three hearts, they also have a different blood system Mm -hmm. than we do. So our blood system is like, what mineral are we sort of based around Sarah? Uh,
0: So iron, we have hemoglobin in our blood is what binds to the oxygen and oxygen. Octopuses. I'm really trying. Octopuses are is is copper based. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called now that they have instead of hemoglobin. Should look it up again. But that's part maybe why they have three hearts. Is that right? We think maybe because Ooh, good it question. I think I, this is one thing I was reading. I'm trying to pull it up from, from memory here now, but I think, or at least this is a theory that because what the, the copper based thing that they have in their blood that I can't think of right now. It's called,
1: it's called hemocyanin. Hemocyanin. Yes.
0: Hemocyanin doesn't bind as strongly to oxygen that they need these two other side hearts (laughs) to, to help pump the blood more efficiently, perhaps through their body than we do because the hemoglobin binds oxygen better.
1: This seems perhaps. plausible to me, but I but did I not. Yeah. yeah. I didn't get that far because believe it or not, there are other parts of this animal's body that blows my uh, mind yeah. even bigger. Oh, sure. But uh, one of the the good things about having a copper-based system, well, one, it, it, hem- hemocyanin, Psy blue um mm-hmm. blue blood but one yeah. of the things that makes it good is it does help them survive in much colder environments than an iron based mm. blood system um is good for so it makes them more adaptable to other habitats so they can still hold on to some of that oxygen the downside is the ocean's getting warmer and it's not as good in uh warmer environments so that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on as the climate changes is the circulatory systems of cephalopods so yes that is a crazy start, but, but their brains though. Oh my gosh. Okay. So again, I don't think we have the words to really like describe their brain. Um, octopus are very smart. They have about 500 million neurons, which makes them like dog smart theoretically, but it totally doesn't translate in the same way. We have way, 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 way more. Um, I think it's like hundreds of billions. Um, of neurons but this is pretty good for like most any other animal and i've seen an argument that these are like the first smart things that ever existed like think about how old cephalopods are (laughs) like they predate the the dinosaurs like this is probably the smartest thing that was on earth for a really long time
0: poor dinosaurs (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry
1: dinosaurs (laughs) little t-rex brain
0: (laughs) it is (sighs) It is. Have you ever been cl- up close to an octopus, Casey?
1: Okay. My octopus experience is extremely limited, unfortunately. So I have, but not since I got really interested in them and not for a long time.
0: Yeah. it's It's been a while for me too. And it's only been once and it was quick, but I had a, a friend and a former coworker who taught me so many things about taking care of animals and she was wonderful and she worked at a facility that had an octopus and she took me back and I got to feed an octopus ah, and I so like lost my mind and I sort of lose my mind a little bit just kind of thinking about it now it was again it was super quick but the thing takes the fish from my hand and it touched me with its tentacles and just there is something being close to them and I'm totally anthropomorphizing but they feel like they're smart. I don't may and maybe it's just because, you know, yeah, you, you hear this about octopuses but I felt like this creature is an intelligent. Like I can't I can't even put it into words really, but I felt like I was in the presence of an intelligent creature
1: so I think you're speaking a little bit to something that when I went to an empathy workshop was talking about how animals that elicit more empathy from us oftentimes move with seeming purpose. Mm. And I think that's probably part of it is like, there was an intentionality that you could yeah. interpret into that animal's behavior, but also like the uh, delicacy of their movements yes. and the way that they like, there's so much. That was also something I read a lot about. And this is people are like, well, pigs are smart. So why don't we care about pigs? They're like, but they're not as majestic as this <laughs> yeah. animal Octopus are
0: just, it's they mysterious. have this conglomeration of factors. Yeah. All of those things. They are, there's a grace about them. There is a mystery about them because- we don't spend much time in the ocean Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, and these, these amazing adaptations and traits that they have like their brains and part of it, what you were talking about with all of these neurons that they have not all centered in a brain in their head, right? They have brains in their legs.
1: So we've got all our neurons are in like one area and then basically everything goes from our brain down into like our spinal cord and stuff. And it like shoots down one direction not at all. What octopus do octopuses have donut shaped brains that have like 30% of their neurons in it. And, and we have four lobes. They have 30 lobes in this little donut brain. And then they have a whole bunch of neurons dedicated to their eyes, which are a really important part of being an octopus.
0: Yeah. Which again, feels like they don't even look like eyes to me, but anyway. Yeah.
1: And then 60% of their neurons are in their arms. They can, like, talk to each other, right? Like, their legs. Like, kinda? you mean on the individual octopus? Or I, no, yeah.
0: Like, like, within the individual octopus. Like, so they can basically move their legs without their, like, brain even... Because it just travels through their legs or whatever. Something I, like
1: that. I had trouble... I think they were still figuring it out. Yeah, probably. Because they were... Basically, like, they can... Lose a leg to a predator, and that leg can operate like crawl around for like 10 minutes, like a long time, um, because it has its own brain. But they do think that like the central brain does send commands, okay, to the legs that then can be basically executed without then having to like have more stimuli from mm-hmm. the centralized brain. Okay, gotcha. I'm not really that- a neurologist, but yeah. hopefully that helped. Um, that- this has been described as thinking skin basically that they' s- they interact with the world in such a different way than we do. Those suckers, I believe, can taste. Okay. And uh, they are able to, because their neurons are so close to the outside of their body, they are just able to interpret a lot of things out of the world that then are then relayed within the animal. And again, I don't think we have the language because we don't experience anything like this. <laughs> Aliens. Aliens. Um, this also led me to um, another adaptation that they have, which is Venom. Um, so you may have heard of the, I believe the blue ring octopus yes. is the one that's like super venomous. Do not pick up octopuses, guys. Um, they can kill you. Some of them. At least that one. <laughs> um, but this uh, Venom immobilizes and partially digests their food because their esophagus runs through their brain. Sure. Because it's a donut. It's a donut-shaped brain. So the esophagus goes right through the middle of that donut. Why? Yeah, we might have to release some of this on
0: video. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, so it has to be like partially digested to fit through that narrow cavity
0: in their brain. Uh. It has to partially digest uh, in order to fit things through our brain.
1: Yeah, this is, if you look at this, uh, at this outline Sarah there's a lot of just all caps letters because <laughs> i was just like what because their brain what does that even mean this is why i needed pictures um they also the last thing i wanted to say is they have super sophisticated eyes that actually have very similar parts as our eyes like they've got like i believe retinas and like all that sort of thing going on all cephalopods have slightly different eye shapes and so yes when you look at an octopus it doesn't look it's not a round circle for their um what's the middle thing people. That's what we're calling it people. Um, it's it's different shape. Yep. (laughs) That's the thing. Um, but actually scientists believe then if we share this same eye design plan with them, that this must be a gene that was with our last common ancestor, which was over 500 million years ago. So it's basically a gene inside both our body and the octopus body that has this game plan for the eye. Um, but okay. This, this blew my mind they're colorblind. Really? Octopus do not have cones. So cones are the receptors that we use to determine color. They don't have those, which I think begs the question of their mimicry. Right. So yeah, they have these incredible mimicry skills. And what I could find is instead of having cones, they are able to differentiate different angles of polarized light to determine like what's going on in their environment. And again, I can't even comprehend nope. what's going on here. So just know that, that this animal is crazy. It's so cool. Sarah's just lost her mind.
0: I, I'm I am too because I thought they had good. Vi- so I think they I have just excellent assumed, vision. Yeah, that they, they could see vision. some color. Because I know I was reading about them like being able to like recognize individuals and stuff. And then, yeah, you read about like the the mimicry, like there is a a mimic, is it just called a mimic
1: octopus? Mimic octopus, yeah. Yeah,
0: That can mimic all of these other different species. Mm -hmm. Like, and patterns and like Mm -hmm. how?
1: Yeah, I don't really understand it entirely. I had to make sure that that was right from a couple different resources because I was like, that doesn't make sense because they, but they do because we see them change color. Right. Um, which is even something I didn't even put that much information on this <laughs> outline about, but they can they change color and texture. Mm-hmm. So they can basically have little papillae on their skin that they can like jut out more to make themselves look like a rock or coral. Like, and they're not just like, I'm a rock. They're like, I'm a rock with algae on me. Like they are detail oriented. Yeah. So they're able to like expand and contract these different pigment pools in their skin to accurately mimic both things in their environment that are static and also other animals. Crazy. All without having cones. What? Crazy. Um, So that brings us to smarts. These are smart animals. The mimic octopus is known to mimic 15 other species. And Andrew was like, so like other octopus. And I was like, no, no. they're like, I'm a sea snake today. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I was reading how they'll like change, like that will morph into different things as they're like moving across
1: Yeah, Like They've got like these eight legs. So like some octopus will like walk, like they'll just saunter with their little legs. Others will use this jet propulsion that mm-hmm. they can do. And then sometimes they'll just do just sort of a combo move. So they'll use their legs and they're like, I'm a fish now and- it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so they're known escape artists. Uh, Sarah, do you have any stories? I know you said you helped feed an octopus. Did you hear any cool things?
0: I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I know that we talked about it a little bit because I have heard those stories, especially having worked in animal care, that it has happened where yes. octopus have gotten out of their tanks and like gone and eaten fish from other tanks and <laughs> that sort of thing, which is is maybe isn't that funny but it No, is it's so
1: funny. It is so funny. Sorry fish. There, I love you fish. Yeah, right. But yes, escaping your own enclosure to go into the yeah. other fish enclosure, eat them, bring their bones back into your enclosure and hide the evidence and, and then be like, like wasn't me. <laughs> so, lots of things have been discovered just by like installing cameras into like you would be like hmm are there ghosts in this building no there is a ornery octopus so um like in one instance they found a light bulb that was out and it kept going out and they're like is something wrong with the electricity is wire they put a uh sensor up and they found that the octopus would leave its enclosure squirt water at this light oh because God. they think it hated the light they're like yeah I don't like that. So turn it, that off. Yep. So it would.
0: <laughs> Isn't there one, two where like they've done studies where they've like given an octopus a task and then they've given another octopus the same task after having him watch the first one do it. And they're like able to figure it out. That's like, that's just a brain tingle for me. right now. That's, that me.
1: sounds right. That sounds right. But I didn't see that immediately come up under smarts. Um, but I will say I spent less time than this area deserves because I was too busy getting blown by their donut brain. Um, as you said, they can tell people apart by sight. So like people walking by, sometimes they will, um, they they have a story of a keeper in New Zealand who the octopus just didn't like for some reason. So every time she walked by the tank, it would squirt her with water. (laughs) Um, but also they, they can learn like the different personalities of people. So someone who would feed them versus someone who wouldn't, or would give them negative stimuli, they're able to to learn the difference and react differently to those different people tool use. Mm -hmm. So they can learn tasks. They learn complicated tasks and then can remember them for long periods of time tool use. They are known to throw rocks at each other. (laughs) Um, (laughs) they have been known to carry around the tentacles of portuguese man of war and use them as weapons oh my goodness gracious so there's apparently a species of octopus that's like immune to the sting but they'll like take the tentacle and they'll be like yeah (laughs) i don't know if they use it to like stun prey or have predators evade them but tool use Um, there's a great video of an octopus finding half a coconut shell and then like rolling it back home because he's going to use it in a shelter. So they are able to use all sorts of different things.
0: Why is the octopus not everybody's favorite animal? Why is it not mine? It it might actually be my favorite (laughs) animal
1: now. Uh, You're going to love an octopus. Also shout out to our friend, Lisa Bukowski, who, when we (laughs) we asked the question of like what your favorite animal was, she was like, the octopus um from when we were talking about whales way earlier because we're yeah. talking about ocean animals so she knows the octopus she's, is the bomb she's on yeah, top of things on
0: it before it was cool
1: yes now we're just
0: bandwagoners
1: we are oh my gosh yeah everyone should love the octopus they're so cool um as you mentioned they're solitary uh, i have found two instances of octopus cities quote-unquote and their oh, name sounds amazing. Okay. They they're are named there. It's Octopolis and Octlantis are the two city names. <laughs> they're off the coast of Australia. I will say I was a little disappointed when cities seemed really like, um, <laughs> generous. For, like, I'm
0: picturing the castle from the little mermaid in my brain right now, but with
1: Octopolis. <laughs>
0: So I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, Yeah. I mean,
1: I guess like the first one they found something metal fell into the ocean and rusted over. And then I don't know if there was just a lot of really good like dens around there or if they were just like, we like this thing, but they were like up to 19 octopuses sitting in, I believe it was Octopolis was the first (laughs) one those named but they are not like cooperative from what we can tell like if they get too close to each other this is where they've been seen throwing rocks scientists are generally very <laughs> hesitant to be like they're throwing rocks at each other they're they're more likely to be like we don't know that they're throwing rocks they might have been yeah. cleaning their own burrow and it might have just happened to go in the direction of their neighbor but apparently there's like you know evictions and all of that sort of stuff they're not good neighborly sort of folks. i love it i imagined a like cooperative like tentacly city <laughs> this is not not the case but um it is to say that they are not entirely solitary uh, but that brings us to reproduction um yeah, yeah sad though this is literally the saddest it's animal awful. fact in the whole world <laughs> and there's lots of sad animal facts but this is my least favorite so octopus get to uh, reproduce one time there's not much romance normally the male initiates a meeting and uses a special arm which delivers the spermat spermatoforms. Yeah. Spermatophores. That's what they're called. Um, in the paper Nautilus, which is weirdly actually an octopus. I don't know why they call it that. <laughs> um, the arm breaks off. And the first time the scientists discovered it, they found it inside the, the female and they thought it was a species of worm. I mean, that was like parasiting her. No, it was part of a male octopus. So I thought that was really interesting. They named it like a different species. And then they were like, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So they just, gave the arm that name of the species. Um, So females then find a den and she lays eggs and they're in like long, long chains. And she spends her time like pushing water over top of them, make sure they're oxygenated and clean. And she guards them. The longest recorded brooding period in a whole whole animal kingdom is an octopus um, that was in the deep sea. And she guarded her eggs for four and a half years. Dang. Yes. But most octopus don't actually even live like four and a half years. They are criminally uh, short-lived animals, but what this allows them to do because they have a long time in the egg is they basically emerge as tiny adults. They're just little, they don't go through a metamorphosis. Um, but because they have enough time to spend in the egg, they're able to, uh, be precocious basically when they're, they're born. Um, but Literally the saddest move. She does not eat during this time period, even when offered food, even when things are readily available, she is solely focused on making sure these eggs survive and she just slowly starves to death and dies. They do enter this like senescence period where like their eyes get a little bit filmy. And from all the stories I've heard, like you can tell when they're sort of in the end stages because they just look that way. But it's also something that we're trying to study because it could tell us more about, you know, what's what's going on with their neurons at that time. What's going on with their motivation since their their body plan's so different from ours, but they still go through this end of life stage.
0: Yeah, there, it's that's it's so sad.
1: <laughs> You're gonna cry <laughs> <It's>, so much <laughs> in this little octopus. It's really. I good. am.
0: Oh my <laughs> gosh i did look at a couple of articles from about a month ago even where they were talking about some potential new things learned about what's going on in the female octopus's body in this end of lifetime i think it's all still kind of preliminary stuff or stuff that's like here here's what we learned we don't really know how we can apply this or use right. this yet but uh, but it is it's 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 so sad to me uh but also just like i don't understand it sort of evolutionarily you know like why why does it why does it work this way
1: yeah i mean most animals don't live past their like reproductive Mm -hmm. prime right um which we know because there's lots of theories and like humans and orcas that like, why do we go through a Menemhaz period? Mm -hmm. Most animals reproduce to the end of life and lots of animals only reproduce like one time, like, you know, they're spawning, but, but why do they like both behaviorally refuse food and their bodies also going through this like change where they break down, even if they're, yeah, it's very strange. And we have lots of things to learn. So I wanted to move a little bit to our relationship with octopus. Um so I know you're going to read The Soul of an Octopus. It's very good. It is one of those books where you're like I don't like there's a lot of science in it, but also it is mostly anecdotal, but um it's it feels very hard to refute some of the anecdotal mm. stuff that makes you really connect to this animal. Um there's also a show on Netflix called My Octopus Teacher. Did, yes. Did you watch that?
0: I have not watched it. We talked about it on a previous I think episode, so, yeah. right? I, I think I, think I reviewed, reviewed Soul it. of an
1: Octopus slash both of these things. Yeah. I think in one of the pods early.
0: Yes, but I have not watched it. In part, I feel like because I am a little bit I, and I think we talked about this previously a little bit squeamish about the anthropomorphic side of things which I'll be a little bit squeamish about in the book as well um but then also also because I am like worried that I'm just going to be too
1: emotional <laughs> you will it. cry if you watch it you will cry because again octopus don't live that long so like the, if you know anything about octopus mm-hmm. you already know what sort of the end is best case scenario yep, I just, um so but I mean like Both that book and that show have, you know, kickstarted generalized interest in octopus, which I think we all kind of have, like, you know, the think of the ancient sea monsters that were depicted Mm -hmm. on old maps were like squids and stuff. And Mm -hmm. there are giant squids are real and giant Pacific octopus are real. And they're these mysterious, crazy creatures that are nothing like us and yet have personalities and intelligence that we feel like we can understand at some level. So cool. Yeah. That's not most of our relationship with octopus, but it is kind of a more modern look at what we're feeling with them. Yep. Um, we do use octopus in medicine. So, um, we've modeled medical suction cups on octopus suckers. So I didn't even talk that much about their suckers. Cause again, that felt like a whole nother deep dive, but we've mod- modeled certain medical suction cups on those. The ink has been used in traditional medicine. Uh, for antimicrobial properties. And it might have some cancer fighting potential as well. So it's something that people are studying. They are using it in AI for like trying to show AI some different body plans other than vertebrates for them to develop technologies off of. It's also something they're thinking about in medicine where like we use rats as a model for us because they're different, but also similar enough. But the octopus is completely different. Like so it might actually help us understand like how these different medicines impact different parts of the bodies, depending on how their game plan is within the body, weird stuff, mostly future stuff. Um, but mostly what we do with octopus is we eat them. Um, so we've eaten cephalopods for a long time. There were special knives in, I think, Roman culture specifically for eating octopus. Hmm. We've eaten them for a really long time. Today, we fish about 4 million pounds of cephalopods a year. Seventy-five percent of that is squid, but the value of the octopus trade has doubled in the last ten years. Wow! Yeah. Have you ever
0: eaten octopus?
1: I was going to ask you that. I have never eaten octopus to my knowledge. Have you eaten octopus? I think
0: once, although I'm questioning my memory now, that it was squid. But I'm pretty sure I have eaten octopus one time at one of those places where they, you know, is really
1: are Calamari. Food in front of what is calamari? Is that squid or is octopus? That squid. I, don't know. Squid. I haven't had either, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we've got all these cool stories going on. Um, but at the same time, the demand for octopus has increased. Um, the majority of octopus consumption is in Asia, but lots of octopus trade in Europe and the United States is also happening. So most of that is just fished out of the ocean. And I've seen conflicting reports, like from fishermen's tells they're Yields of octopus caught in the wild seem to have gone down, but according to some other articles, I saw cephalopods might actually be doing fine. They're pretty adaptable creatures. They're really voracious predators. So they're able to, they're they're really not picky when it comes to food. So if there's food around and a healthy enough ecosystem, they're going to eat food and they're going to be fine. Um, and there's stories of like in the English channel of booms of octopus that just like decimated all the rest of the fisheries in there. Um, So it's, I I was kind of unclear and I I honestly didn't spend enough time looking at the current conservation stuff with them, but historically we have fished them from the wild, but a Spanish company in February applied for a permit to start farming octopus on a commercial scale. Wow. Yeah. That
0: seems like it would be an undertaking, honestly, given the things that we just talked about.
1: Yeah. We just talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, historically, aquaculture of octopuses has resulted in octopus with increased aggression. They have self-harmed and they cannibalize each other, which happens also in the like wild sometimes. Um, is they cannibalize each other, but uh, yeah, that's not great. And a lot of the animals that we farm on land, like our herd animals, and that's what makes them easy to farm on land mm-hmm. is we're just put them all in one big group. Right. Can't do that. They all have to have their own tanks. Also, they escape. <laughs> we know right. they can escape. Yeah. Um, we currently aquaculture loads and loads of species. So about 50% of the seafood that we eat is from farming. Some of that actually is very sustainable. Things like bivalves, other members of the mollusks families are good for the ocean. Um, others have some questionable impacts on the environment. One of the things that's different about aquaculture versus land, uh, livestock is that, livestock on land tend to be herbivores and lots of species that we aquaculture are carnivores. So salmon and tuna Mm -hmm. and octopus. So a third of the fish that we catch of the fishing industry every year goes to feeding animals. So we talked about this in the, the beef episode too. Lots of food that we farm for ourselves also goes to feeding animals. So it's a very inefficient process. And then half of that goes to like, I mean, we could also say it could also go to dog food, like mm-hmm. ginger has eaten salmon-based yep. foods. So um, but also half of it goes to fisheries, so feeding things like those salmon. Um, and octopus are going to need lots and lots of prey in order to continue. So sustainability-wise probably not. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Like, yeah, when you look at it, so the, I read an article, which is the case against octopus farming. And I believe it's by Janet Jaquette who wrote that. Um, and she brought up some of these things. So from like a sustainability standpoint, it doesn't seem to really make sense. And when you look at the markets that would buy farmed octopus, they are markets that are otherwise food secure. So they're getting food from somewhere already this is not an issue of like this is a traditional indigenous culture Mm -hmm. that survives off octopus there are those um that's not what we're talking about we're talking about like an industrialized commercial scale farmed octopus operation and that's when we see a lot of like issues with eating meat is when we do put it on this grand scale but we just talked about a lot of things sarah about uh about octopus and like personality and intelligence so i was wondering like Do you have any like thoughts on this as far as outside of sustainability? If it was like the most sustainable option for eating octopus, should we still do it
0: outside of the same? So this is, this is such a hard thing for me to answer as somebody who, you know, I do eat meat. I, I couldn't do it. I'll tell you that. Like if I had to be responsible for harvesting my own food, if I had to go like get an octopus to eat, I could not, could not ever do it. But like I said, I'm pretty sure I have had it once, you know, so I can't say, I don't think that if it was a sustainable practice that I definitively wouldn't. And I don't know what that says about me as a person because I ju- like, I just got through, you know, extolling how amazing these animals are. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think like we're we're, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, I think part of my problem is too, is almost any animal that I do a deep dive in, I'm going to fall in love with to a certain extent. So I think that I might be equally able to say like this animal is truly amazing. And this is still something that we can use for sustenance. Again, if it were an environmentally sound option, which I don't think that it is.
1: I, I think like the the blanket, uh, I, I tried to look at the case for octopus farming. <laughs> mm-hmm. And basically the case is that wild caught specimens are a volatile market. So like it's hard to supply and demand. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, let me just back up too, because I, I, I blanked on another kind of aspect of this, just thinking about sustainability. I think the reason that I would say no then to eating is because of their own, of their sort of social, social structure aspect of it. If we couldn't do it in a way that I felt like was humane to the octopus would be the other side of it. Like that would be a thing. Cause as you mentioned, a lot of the things that we grow and farm and raise are herd animals. So like, they're like out there together, you know, whatever. Um, If we couldn't do that within, with the octopus.
1: Well, I think the plan is that, that all of them will have their own solitary tanks. Mm -hmm. So like you are meeting their basic needs social wise because they aren't social for the most part. It depends on the species. There's 300 species. So like there's, I'm sure varying degrees. Um, But it does dive into something that like we haven't talked that much about when we've been talking about food, which is the animal welfare aspect Mm -hmm. of it. And I think that's a very personal decision for everybody who decides to consume meat um yeah. is the animal welfare aspect of it and i think we i don't think it's an acceptable thing to say i just i i shouldn't have to think about it because i think if you're eating meat f- from a commercialized standpoint you should at least think about it yeah. if you want to make the decision that i understand what the consequences are but i'm still going to continue to do this lifestyle like I think that that's, that's a personal decision to make. Um, and like, obviously I'm, I'm not a vegan or vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I have drastically reduced my consumption Mm -hmm. of meat. Um, and I have a no list. Mm -hmm. Like when I found out what veal was, I stopped eating veal. So I won't eat veal. I won't eat octopus that they're on my no list. I've never had the opportunity to do it, but also I have just made that decision. Mm -hmm. No, I will never eat it. I will not eat bluefin tuna because I have the sustainability issues of bluefin tuna, for example, but like from a humane perspective. I don't want to eat octopus. You
0: don't. Yeah. So there's not a way in your mind that we would be able to raise them in a way that would hit the mark of where it needed to be, which I, I understand that completely. And I was not necessarily thinking of it on that side of things.
1: So Well, I think that's where the philosophical argument Mm -hmm. comes in. Like, yeah, like what, what, what levels are we looking at? We're looking at an ecosystem level. We can say that probably octopus farming is not a sustainable choice. And so we shouldn't even be exploring it unless we're just trying to make money um, uh, outside because we're trying to get to a more sustainable future. We're trying to get to something that we're not over-harvesting our oceans for to feed the animals that we put in farms. Um, but also, I think we don't have the measures for animal welfare. Sure for like we i don't think we have great measures for animal welfare in general because we're not animals and so we have trouble but we're, we're getting pretty good with birds and mammals we're not very good with reptiles and mm. i don't think we have any, <laughs> any real good bar for marine species yeah. especially octopus because fish like schooling animals they're schooling animals you they've got a certain social life they can have within this big old net mm-hmm. in the middle of the ocean there are issues but maybe you can make the argument that like they're doing a lot of the things a fish would do anyway. I, I don't know. Are you giving these octopus enrichment? Like, right? <laughs> are you yeah. furnishing all of their tanks? That seems like a lot of work to like raise an animal. If they were happy and healthy their whole life, that's basically like what it is to kill a wild, uh, like in the idea that the wild is the idealized form of, you know, what they can be doing. Um, that, you know, Will, would you eat uh, an octopus that's wild caught? That's a different argument, I yeah. think, than would you farm an octopus? Yeah. So yeah, it's not something we've really talked about before. So I wanted to bring it up. Yeah. Because, and, it, uh,
0: and this is a, a good time to bring it up after that discussion of, I, I think you said it perfectly before. I, the octopus is just this perfect dichotomy of complete and total mysterious otherworldly creature and something that we really feel like we can connect to and so thinking about an animal like that that we feel some sort of connection to is a really interesting one to kind of have that discussion around and think about those things.
1: Yeah and I think we should be having these conversations with ourselves Mm-hmm frequently because the more we're separated from our own food and all the impacts we have on the environment, when from your toilet paper being brought out of forests to um, the products in your life that are contributing to climate change, we're so disconnected from the impacts of these things out in the environment. I think it's important to continue to interrogate like, how are my actions impacting the environment and which ways am I uncomfortable with what that actual impact is on that species? And I think getting to know those species, like we're getting to know the octopus today is a better way to measure that bar on your own personal comfort level. Um, and I do think that there's like certain things that, I mean, decisions that should be taken out of our hands. Like, uh, you know, we should be on a, a bigger level, maybe not letting, not permitting octopus farms. Yes, That's, that's something that maybe, they don't have to make the decision maybe yeah. spain can just be like no yeah. <laughs> but they're considering it under their environmental permit so it's still up in the air
0: wow look at <laughs> look at all of that look at look at all of the things that we discussed just thinking about the octopus
1: uh, any last thoughts
0: there they are amazing creatures i'm excited to read this soul of an octopus book now and i hope everybody listening i hope you enjoyed our excitement <laughs> uh, or geeking out over uh, this uh, amazing animal and uh if you get a chance to look into them a little bit deeper yourselves too yeah stick around we'll be
1: right back All right we are back with the challenge portion of our episode every week sarah and i give you a challenge for you to connect with this week's topic and action that you can do to make a difference um this week i have two kind of different challenges the first one is there's a website called seafood watch and it's run through the monterey bay aquarium and it gives you the impacts of different seafood choices so that you can help yourself make better choices at restaurants, at grocery stores, based on what type of food that you're eating, what kind of fish, how it was raised, where it's from. It gives you basically the sustainability rating of those. It's a super helpful website. I've shadowed with Seafood Watch. I really love their program. You do have to know a certain amount of information about the food that you're trying to consume to know whether it falls into their like green go for it category or if it's in a void or in the middle um but i do think it's a worthwhile thing to start looking at because we should be having these conversations with ourselves about which species we're cool with eating and other ones that maybe they're not really sustainably raised but the other one that's a little less (laughs) uh technical is if you want to learn more about octopus. You should look stuff up about them. You should watch YouTube videos about them. Um, Netflix, if you have it, they have my octopus teacher. Uh, I reviewed it many moons ago. If you want to go look that up on our podcast website, you can do that. And you can hear what I re- thought about it. Cause I don't remember what I thought about it. <laughs> I mean, I remember what I thought about it. I just don't remember what I told you guys what I thought about it. um, um It's not a perfect documentary, but you will get an up close, really cool view of an octopus in its natural habitat. And then Sarah is reading My Octopus Teacher. Nope, nope. Nope, She's reading Full of of an Octopus. Who's it by Simon? Simon Montgomery. Montgomery, Yep. Yep. Um, It's a really excellent book. Thanks, Corinne, for letting me borrow it Um, back in the day, so I don't have my own edition, but it's it's really good. And it's um, you know, you can always take it for what it's worth because there is a lot of anecdote, but it's really moving book. Um, I think it'll change the way that you think about them even after today's episode. So those are challenges I have for you.
0: I love it. Can't wait. Um, I already started on mine, I guess, but (laughs) perfect. And seafood watch is a a thing that I am very cyclical about. I'll think about it for a while and then I won't, I don't eat a ton of seafood. I mean, that's really the answer to your question is I wouldn't eat octopus because I don't eat octopus. (laughs) Like The occasion would never arise. I'm pretty sure I was in high school that one time that I might have had it, but yeah, and it is, it is tough to me. It feels a little more complicated, but this will hopefully be the, the kick that I need to try to look into it again and be a little bit better uh, when I do buy seafood.
1: So we'll talk more. We'll do another episode sure. that's all about sustainable seafood. But uh, I think it's good to use it. Figure out what the things you normally buy are. Maybe switch to one that's a little less yeah. impactful if necessary, and then you don't really have to look at it again because yeah. you've already sort of like you're like me at the grocery store. That's what you're doing most. My of the time.
0: problem is eating out. Like oh yes, I'm, which I don't do often. But like over the last week, we, I had seafood a couple of different times at a restaurant, and I don't.
1: I'm so shy. I don't know. I, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I'm we'll talk about that, that yeah. later. And it'll be a different yeah. one yeah. anyway. But, are cool. <laughs> uh, yes, activists are awesome. I hope you enjoyed us geeking out about them. If you did or you didn't, you can uh, find us and hopefully, hopefully you did. You can find us and leave a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We appreciate that. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook. It's a little greener podcast. We are on Instagram at oh little greener pod we're on twitter at a greener podcast and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com and you can email us anything if you have thoughts if you have questions future episode topic suggestions whatever you want to tell us we're here
1: tell us your octopus stories yeah Super cool. Uh yeah, maybe that'll be the question I'll post this week on our Facebook is have you ever interacted with an octopus? Please tell us your stories. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I that's all I want. I don't want to do it in nature because I'm afraid of the ocean enough. I mean, I love the ocean. I have I love the ocean. I have no desire to I, be in the ocean. I'm, I don't need to be under it nope. and with things that are supposed to be there. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> they win, they can have it. That's theirs. Um <laughs> But I do want, I want to, I mean, I guess. If you have
0: interacted with an octopus, please share it with us so we can live vicariously through you.
1: Thank (laughs) you safely from a distance. Okay.
0: All right. Thanks, guys. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.